Welcome to episode 46 of the Owl and Badger podcast. My name is Tim and I'm joined by my very good friend Helen and we are two Christians who are seeking to understand the world around us through a biblical worldview. We want to encourage our listeners to apply critical thinking to current events and pursue truth as we seek to live for Christ. Good afternoon, Helen. Your weekend been an exciting one so far? Good afternoon. Right. Um, I'm not sure about exciting. You get no. into that age where, like, <laughs> not having any plans is exciting because that's where I am now. If yeah, actually, says, what do you do for the weekend? True. I think, oh, I'm not sure. They think, oh, okay, that sounds yeah. really boring. And I'm thinking, well, actually, it's quite, it's quite relaxing. <laughs> no, it is nice. When I get to a a blank weekend in the diary, I do get quite quite excited about that. Wow, it's we are. nice. I like to potter. Yes. I like so. I played tennis yesterday. I like to do some gardening, do some reading. I don't do very much of that. Yeah, that's what I like to do. Nice one. Well, I mean, the high, the highlight for me has been has been making uh, a loaf of bread as well. So we we are the owl and the badger are pushing the boundaries of what living the dream means, uh, dear listeners, as you can probably tell. <laughs> but anyway, we are not here to talk about our our weekend. We are here to talk about this episode, the World Economic Forum, and this is a organization which we have mentioned before on this podcast but um, they have their annual meeting in uh, Davos and uh, this has been uh, going on the last week or so and it finished uh, on the 19th of January but um, just to just to kind of ease us into this Helen Grant Shapps has been uh, has been telling us things we need to know hasn't he yeah yes what's he said <laughs> He has. Um, we'll put a link into the the clip of his little um, speech. I don't know if you've noticed more recently when people like him do these speeches. They they seem to. I think this was a speech he did somewhere, and then they've cut part of it, and um, they put music behind it, and they oh, put okay. graphics to yeah. it. Yeah. This is the I don't know home office or it depends who, whoever's speaking whoever it, you know government department um so they put music a bit like to a film to make it all more dramatic uh yeah i find it intensely irritating actually um it's hard to take it seriously what they're trying to say but anyway this <laughs> clip um is grant shaps telling us about how dangerous the world has become he's effectively warmongering um mm. one of the things he says the era of the peace dividend is over. Um, so, you know, it's it's almost as if he's saying there's there's no point anymore talking about peace. There's no point entering peace negotiations. We need to be ready to fight, and we're ready, and we can take on anyone. That's pretty much what he's saying. Never mind all the cuts to the armed forces that we continue to make. Yes. Um, yeah. And yeah. Uh, yeah. Another. Quote from it: We must back Ukraine until the very end. The, ve I, the very, I, 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 the very, very end of what? what the ve the very end of that. the uh, Russian um, special military operation. The end. The end when Russia's defeated and Ukraine wins. I mean, how do you define what the end is? But yeah, it's 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 crazy. You, you, you do pick pick this up, don't you? On on the media. Just little hints here and there that oh you know we've got to be got to be preparing for for this and whether it's perhaps war with Russia seems to uh, rear its head more and more now and uh, like you say a lot of it sadly is is warmongering isn't it um, which is which is very sad but it is the the times in which we live I think um, 
But then I suppose on the other side of the coin, here in the part of the world in which we live, we have had a long time of peace, haven't we? Um, yeah. Which is something to always be thankful for. But yeah, there is there is a certain amount of orchestrated engineering going on, it feels like at least, doesn't it? Especially when people like him say things like this. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's worth a watch. It's just a, a few minutes long. Um, and I think it's dangerous talk from him. It is. It is dangerous talk indeed. Um, well, this last week or so has been very um, important for the world economic forum uh, because like we said they've had their annual meeting which gone from the 14th to 19th of january in davos and uh, this has been their 54th uh, annual meeting that's how long they've been doing this and over 60 heads of state have attended this and our very own um probably soon to be prime minister keir starmer was there along with chancellor jeremy hunt and shadow chancellor rachel reeves so it's been um yeah, it's always attracting world leaders and, of course, leaders of industry as well, isn't it, Helen? Yeah, yeah. Um, on that point, uh, Keir Starmer, he likes Davos very much. Do you remember when he was asked, I'm not sure it was a year ago, um, by a reporter which he would prefer or which he'd rather be at? Um, I can't remember exactly, but he was asked Davos or Westminster. And straight away, his answer was Davos. <laughs> <laughs> I suppose maybe maybe he was thinking from a purely scenic point of view. Do I do I prefer inner city London or do I prefer a skiing resort? So you know maybe maybe he was viewing it from that point of view. Um, we doubt it, maybe. don't we, Helen? Mm. <laughs> I would hope so. Rather than which would I prefer to be um, in charge of our country, Davos or Westminster? Indeed, indeed, and and of course, it's worth it's worth bearing in mind. And one of the reasons we we talk about this is because it is very easy for it to go under the radar, or it's very easy for it to become part of the furniture, isn't it? So in the mainstream news, it's like, oh, it's presented as, oh yes, world leaders are at Davos again, as if that's perfectly normal. And yes, this is their fifty fourth uh, annual meeting, but um, it's not normal, if you like, for world leaders and. Um, leaders of industry to all congregate in one place and have it, what really is an undemocratic and unaccountable set of meetings that de define policy um, mm. for, for millions of people. And um, as, as we'll see as we go through this episode, it really is um, pretty, pretty awful, pretty dire, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it is. And, and not reported on very much at all. I mean, no. when you... If you want to trawl through the World Economic Forum website and see all the the meetings they have over these four or five days, um, I mean, there's a lot of them. We'll pick out a few bits from it, um, covering all sorts of topics, um, but, drawing yeah. in just huge numbers of people. I, I have seen the numbers that we're talking about thousands and thousands of people descend on Davos for this. Yes, yes. Event. And, and and as with the uh, the COP uh, conference that we we covered uh, before Christmas, of course, most of them do arrive on bicycle, don't they? Um, yeah, so it's a absolutely. great opportunity to see yeah. your world leaders. Um, <laughs> you know, the Prime Minister and uh, Chancellor, or potential Prime Minister and Shadow Chancellor, going on a tandem to to Davos from Westminster, because of course, flying would be very bad for the environment. Um, one interesting little clip saw was um, uh, in in a 
one of the sessions that they have called uh, Climate and, and Nature, and it's uh, with the subheading of a systemic response is needed. And they had, believe it or not, um, a chiefess, a chiefess from uh, an Amazonian tribe. And this chiefess performed a shamanic rite, so basically an occult rite. And she she um, she made some invocations while rubbing her hands together and then she blew on the heads of each of the participants who were sat on the stage um, including the managing director of the International Monetary Fund uh, the president of the World Bank uh, the CEO of IKEA who was there with his Allen key trying to put some shelves together and um, a billionaire Andre Hoffman whom I have to confess I don't know who that is but I probably should and the the host for this particular event, and this is the WF uh, conference last last week, uh, justified the presence of uh, Chief Des Putney by by saying that to look to the future, we must look back and see that what wishes what the wishes of our ancestors were. It's quite something to see this, uh, and we'll put we'll put the link on in the in the podcast because so you can go and see it for yourself. But I mean, ironically. This chiefess looks like she's got kind of face paint on. It looks like initially she's got she's wearing a face mask and she's not. It's just um, like face paint, if you like. But then when she's blowing on, literally coughing and blowing on the faces of each of these um, leaders, it, it, the irony is, it's like, hold on, this is this is this is this is World Economic Forum territory here. We should all be, you know. A year or two years ago, they're all wearing face masks, and now they're having somebody literally cough in their face. <laughs> mm. It's just, it's just nuts. But put that aside because that really, that the coughing part doesn't matter. But um, yeah, I mean, they, they, they go. This uh, chief desk goes on to say that we can join our hands, unite our hearts, unite our thoughts in the same direction for the healing of the planet and spiritual healing. And saying, she goes on to say, when we unite in our thinking in our heart, our Mother Earth will listen to us. So um, there you go. This is an occult uh, occult practice right in the middle of the WEF. And um, yeah, it's just, just quite... Just to it's say, just our Mother Earth won't listen to us, will she? No. <laughs> no, it's just, it's just, it's just quite, it's quite nuts. But there we go. It's um, having, having this... Like we say, having this occult ritual in your face happening right in front of you uh, in in the WF was was quite something. But uh, yeah, it's worth it's worth going to have a have a have a look at that one. But that was just that was just one of the kind of the mad things that was that was happening. What what else have we had? Because um, there's been loads of loads of things been talking about, which I think is important for us to mention to give a kind of a flavour for for what the the WF is about, Helen. Yeah, yeah. Well, I thought um, the first thing might be helpful just to go through a few of the things yeah. on their sort of front page that explain what they're about and what they're trying to do, what they're focusing on. Um, so, I mean, one of the um, first things uh, it talks about is instability. Um, so I'll just read this. People, societies and companies face the reality of a world in transformation. In addition to the seemingly endless supply of shocks, with the tragic violence in the Middle East being the most recent, deep structural shifts are clearly afoot from geoeconomics to climate change to artificial intelligence. Given this level of uncertainty and the high stakes involved, 
there is a clear need to move past the diagnosis of challenges firmly towards solutions. Hmm. Yeah, it's 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 they really are trying to paint the picture ahead, aren't they? For for what they what they what they are orchestrating to actually happen by telling people this is what's going to happen. Um and yeah, it's it's interesting, isn't it, how they, they then want to see them as creating the uh the the need to control to solve issues. Um but yeah, that's the thing, I, isn't it? You create the problem and then you come up with a solution as well. Yeah, I think that's very much their method of operation is um you know, paint the picture of great instability and uncertainty. Um, it's that project fear again, isn't it? It, it is. It is. Um, making people um, nervous about the future, about uncertainty. And, you know, in the future is always going to be uncertain because it's the future. But um, it's painting that picture and, and making people, I think, fearful and anxious and, and then offering them a solution. But it's fine because we... We, we need. We will take control, and we will come up with a solution. And you don't need to worry. Then it's all about putting um, faith in the state, isn't it? Ultimately, whether whether it's um, a supranational national state or or individual governments, and you know, as Christians, it's important that we remind ourselves that we we know that that God is still in control, and God provides um, the us the answers to an unstable. An uncertain world, and that the that answer is found, of course, in the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is why Christianity, faithful Christianity, is going to be at odds with something like what the WEF uh, promotes. But yeah, what, what else? Yeah. What else have we got here? So moving on, they say with trust eroding, long-term visions may be too abstract to rally around while merely focusing on responses to current shocks will leave everyone vulnerable to the transformations at hand. What is needed are new and upgraded platforms for dialogue, stronger partnerships, agile policy frameworks, and effective deployment of technologies that can lead to practical and implementable gains for societies across both short-term and strategic horizons. This, this lots, is lots of big words there. It is, isn't it? It's what what you what happens when you have uh, middle management meet uh, politics. You end up with something that just is um, psychobabble, basically. Uh, but yeah, there's there's all sorts of little hints in here on uh, up, upgraded platforms for dialogue, um, stronger partnerships, agile policy frameworks. Wow, they're really you know, mixing different things here, aren't they? Um, deployment of those, deployment of technologies, but of course, the WF is very pro technocracy. So anything that kind of puts together the human and technology, they will be onto like um, like nothing else because they really they really love that kind of thing. But yeah, I think I think like saying why 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 is trust eroding? That that's that's a good question to ask, isn't it? Um, yeah. Perhaps this is what happens. Yeah, and I think um, when you take God out of the picture, um, that's when people are going to lose trust and they're going to lose hope. Um, yes. 
and in that place you're left with a vacuum, aren't you? You are, you are. And this this should be, I hope, a good opportunity for, for Christians, for us Christians to be able to say, look, we there, there is hope. It's in the Lord Jesus Christ. We look to him, uh, what he's done for us on the cross and the fact that he is coming back and we can live for him. We can be put right with God because of him. And we no longer have to try and make up uh, a way out like the WF seem to want to do. Um, instead, we can we can look to look to Christ. Um, and I think you might be listening, thinking, "Well, what's this got to do with me?" Because the WF are over in Davos, you know, making all these decisions, which many of them won't affect me. But that's the problem; they they will affect us down the line, and we have to be. I think alert to this, and we have to be ready for for what we what we put in place, isn't it, Helen? Because it's not yeah. it's not just about it's not just about saying, oh, we need to, um, if you like, resist what the, the policies organisations like the WF might try to bring in. It's like, well, what do we do in place of that? Because we have to have something that we do in place of something. It's not just about resisting something. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. And um, I mean, I suppose it's this age old issue of um, uh, the the problems that you get with levels of um, governance. And, um, you know, I think many people have said for a very long time, the closer you can get that governance to the actual people on the ground, the better. And we say yeah. that within national politics, don't we, where you want you want people who are making the decisions about your community to be to have some kind of link with your community and mm -hmm. that's why we try to have local government don't we and local parish councils and all, all that sort of thing um but this is the complete opposite of that this is this is global decision making it is it is it is global decision making um this this notion of supranational government um uh, where, like you say, decisions are far removed from the people they actually affect. Um, and, we, and we see this reflected in all areas of society, don't we? I mean, we see it reflected in, in things like big business. So if you have an issue with something, let's say your, your, your gas or your electric, you you have to phone a call centre somewhere. And, in, and sometimes that call centre is not even in this country. And you have to talk to somebody and try and go through hoops to, to get there, to get the result you want. It's, it, it's no longer possible just to have somebody local to, to actually speak to, understands the situation that you're in and can provide a, a solution that fits your circumstances and the challenges that you're facing. Um, and, and perhaps, yeah, the, the, this is increasingly, sadly, the, the, the world in which we are moving towards in, in all sorts of areas, isn't it? And Again, it's that question of how do we how do we practically resist that? Um, it's not not necessarily an easy answer. To that I don't, don't think is there. I mean, at this stage, perhaps being aware of it is is one one element of of resisting it, isn't it? Yeah, and I think um, I think as Christians, it's very important that we that we remember, you know, who is in charge. That God created the world. That God sustains the world. That God um is supreme and 
so you know even even if people are trying to have some form of global governance um they are answerable to god um yeah. and i think that is helpful to remember that he is in control uh nothing gets gets past him he knows what is happening so we can take a measure of comfort from that i think um but it is being um aware of the realities of of what is of what is going on um it, it is and and i and i think as well it's really good when particularly for church leaders and i think we talk increasingly about church leadership on this podcast but it's 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 good when church leaders are aware of things like the World Economic Forum and the influence that they have and the policies and the agendas that they are promoting. Not so that a church leader can sort of preach about it, as it were, but so that he can guard his flock and prepare his flock and to to be on the lookout for things which are coming, which will have an adverse effect. And, and church leaders are community leaders. And they have a, an amazing opportunity to affect local change. I mean, think how many there's not not that many organisations now, are there? That that meet that gather together once a week to lead people through various things collectively. But church, that's what happens in the, in churches all over the country. Yeah, that's very true. And uh, and I think. It's good when you have a church leader who is open to understanding what is happening in the world so that they can apply a biblical worldview to that, but also so that they can speak into these things and not instead of being led by what's happening in the world, like we talked a lot about that, you know, climate change nonsense and, and climate alarmism, which has seeped its way into the church. That, that's an example of being led by the world. That's not right. and don't believe that's godly either. Uh, all good leadership, all good shepherding. But you, do you know what I mean, Helen? I, th I think there there are little there are little opportunities here to to put some good foundations down. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And and I think also um, there are some really good opportunities to apply what we read in the Bible to what is going on because there is so much in there, so much yes. that we are told in Scripture that has great relevance to what is going on in the world right now. Yeah. Yeah. Indeed. Indeed. And what what about what about the theme of uh, the the conference at, in Davos that just finished? Yeah. So the the theme what they write is um against this backdrop that we just talked about and um to instill a measure of collective agency it is necessary to start restoring trust at three fundamental levels into the future, within societies, and among nations. Therefore, the 54th Annual Meeting of the World Economic Forum will convene under the theme Rebuilding Trust to provide the crucial space to step back and focus on the fundamental principles driving trust, including transparency, consistency, and accountability. Footnote from me, all of the things that the World Economic Forum uh, is 
is not about at all. <laughs> yeah, totally, totally. Or has never been. Totally up to incapable now. <laughs> and incompetent in de- in delivering or understanding. Yeah, I think I think they have added transparency, consistency, and accountability because they sound they sound good, even though, like you say, they would never do those things. But again, this is this this highlights um, the godlessness of the WEF because they are looking uh, really. You know, any any organisation that would point us in a good direction would be saying, ultimately, this is restoring trust in in God and His goodness, and um, the way that He has ordered the world and the way that He calls us to live. That that's it, and and what they are suggesting is is the opposite of that by looking basically to themselves by into the future within societies and among nations. It sounds very grand, doesn't it? But it's it's. In, in, incredibly pagan, essentially, isn't it? it? It's 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 pagan governance, I think. Yeah, that's one way you could describe it, I suppose. Yeah, yep, very much so. Um, but also, I think you know, it's, they're wanting the theme of rebuilding trust, uh, restoring trust, when they have done so much to damage trust in the first place. So. Um, I mean, obviously, the big example is with COVID, oh, where massive. you know transparency, consistency, accountability; those are the things that absolutely have not been in place. Um, and you know, they've got got a long way to go if if they want people to trust them. But I mean, to me, it's a bit like you know the you know in the Jungle Book, the serpent who. Mm. Um, who's got those eyes where he hypnotizes um yes trust in me what's he called the little <laughs> boy um, oh Mowgli uh, yeah uh and it's it yeah, trust no, it's in Khan, me no Khan is the Shere Khan, Khan that's the tiger is it okay then what's the yeah. snake called then the sna- snake I can't remember Sid okay we don't know okay what we'll go with called. Sid the snake <laughs> yeah but you know his song trust in me I, th- I think they're just like that you know Trust us. We've got your best interests at heart. They are with Klaus Schwab and his eyes kind of spinning around like this. (laughs) Yeah. No, I think I think you're spot on. That's 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 very good. Uh, Shall we move on? We've got the method as well. What's what's that one? Yeah. So they have a method to meet this ambition. Um, They're saying they will focus on core roles and functions developed um, throughout the evolution of this annual meeting. So they are planning to um, serve as a place for open and constructive dialogue among nations and all stakeholders in society. They want to bring the leaders of government, business and civil society together in search of solutions to critical global challenges. They want to help connect the dots in an increasingly complex environment of wide ranging change. And they want to provide foresight by introducing the latest advances in science, industry and society. There doesn't seem to be any kind of accountability there to to the general population, is there? Is there? Um, it's, all, it's all about them bringing leaders together to essentially point them in the direction the WF wants to go. For example, their last one, you know, providing foresight. In, in introducing latest advances in science, in, industry and, and society um, and helping them, in quotes, connect the dots. Uh, it's, it's a very insidious 
approach the WEF take. Um, but but yeah, it's 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 not great. Uh, do you want to move on, or do you have anything to add on that one? Yeah, well, I think uh, I think the next thing that is relevant is is who these stakeholders are. So they're they're welcoming over a hundred governments to Davos from around the world, all major international organisations, and the forum's one thousand partner companies as well as civil society leaders, the foremost experts, whoever they are, and today's youth generation, social entrepreneurs and the media. Mm. Yes, it's it's it sounds it sounds very grand, but again it's it's they are simply creating an echo chamber for their own ideologies. Um with a notable exception perhaps which will talk about near the end of this podcast but um yeah um it it is again that classic thing of nobody's been asking for the wf nobody you know you, you don't go out in in into uh, you know your local leisure center or your pub and and you get chatting with somebody and and uh, you know what you find is a trend over the years where people say, you know what, we need more than anything else is a, is an organisation that's unaccountable and unelectable and undemocratic, but basically to kind of tell us what to do. <laughs> Nobody's ever asked for that, and yet that is that's kind of what. Well, it's not kind of; it is what the WEF is ultimately all all about. Um, and I think there is a um, a fallacy that that many. Um, well-meaning people, um, particularly um, perhaps middle-class people, would, would would believe with the WF in insofar as they go with the lie that the WF. Oh, it's, it doesn't matter. It's of no consequence. It's just you know if you if you think that um, it, you know the, the the people governments going there is a problem, you're just thinking too deeply about it. You know, it's just you, a talking shop. It's just a talking, just a talking shop. shop. It's like, really? Um, have you ever tried to uh, uh, have a meeting with um, a senior manager in your place of work and, and how difficult that might be to get a time in their diary? Well, imagine, extrapolate that out and imagine what that must be like to get world leaders and leaders of industry like Apple and Amazon and Google to all go to one place and prioritise that. If it was just a talking shop, they wouldn't do it. No, so that's a very good point. Um, yeah. the, the, you know, please don't be naive about the WEF because it's not very bright. Um, okay, move on. What's about the, the program we've got here? Because so, it's good to know they've got a program in place, isn't it? Yeah. That's encouraging. So they've got four areas they're focusing on. Um, and they say the programme will consist of well-structured and well-prepared work streams directly related to the crucial issues driving the future across four interconnected thematic priorities. And those are, number one, achieving security and cooperation in a fractured world. Number two, creating growth and jobs for a new era. Number three, artificial intelligence as a driving force for the economy and society and number four a long-term strategy for climate nature and energy i've got a couple of those i wanted to draw out some a couple of um observations have you, have you you got any 
Alan? Yeah, you you start. <laughs> okay. Well, I mean, obviously, uh, I think uh, for me, artificial intelligence as a driving force for for the economy and society is 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 a big one. Uh, is a big concern. Um, I mean, there's talk here in certain sectors of artificial intelligence. In this country, in the United Kingdom, replacing uh, up to forty percent of certain certain jobs, which is alarming, actually. Um, and, and again, it's one of those things where just because we can do it doesn't mean to say we should do it. Just because you can have a computer that will um, learn lots of human ways of interacting and doing things, and then be able to repeat that very quickly, doesn't mean to say that that's a good thing. And nobody has been asking for this on on the ground. I don't think. Uh, I would strongly contest that if any if anybody argued with that one. Uh, so they, they instead of asking the question, "Is AI right?" They simply assume that it is, and then say, "Well, how do we how do we make AI benefit people?" Surely the the right question to ask is, and if you're going to ask this in something like the WEF, would be. Is artificial intelligence a good thing? If it isn't, we should stop it or limit to, to what the areas that it should be allowed to be utilised in. Um, yeah. I, I, I mean, there's an obvious thing here, and we'll, we'll talk about well, again. We'll touch on this uh, an actual example of this in a in a few moments. But the more jobs you have replaced by AI, well. That's going to affect the economy because what 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 jobs are those people who are now unemployed going to do? How are they going to afford to buy the things that are now done by AI or to use the services that are now provided by AI if they haven't got an income? Maybe, maybe, just maybe. This is why universal basic income is on the horizon. Uh, one does wonder, doesn't one, Helen? Uh, if you're going yeah. to, as the WF like to say, join the dots in this one. Um, but uh, yeah, just because AI is there doesn't mean to say it's a good thing. In fact, I'd say it. it's overall, I think it's a bad thing. Yes, it can make things easier, but just because something is easier doesn't mean to say it's better. You, you yeah. got any any thoughts on it? Well, just, just that really, that um, technology, just because you can do something, it doesn't mean to say it's a good thing to do it um and and you know how technology is applied for example biotechnology there have to be um there has to be an ethical discussion as well just because you can do something doesn't mean to say that it is right to do it totally. um so yeah i don't i don't see them thinking about those ethical issues very much and and for the benefit benefit of who very often these things are going to be for the benefit of big business and making yeah. money yeah which is not necessarily to the benefit of the people on the ground it isn't it isn't at all i, I think you i think you're totally right on that it's interesting on on you know for for christians you see kind of crazy headlines normally it's the kind of thing that the premier christianity would come up with uh which is something like you know should you should you use chat gpt uh to um to write a sermon for you 
asking the question in such a way as if that's actually a viable thing to do in the first place. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> what a stupid question. But but this is what happens. You know, this is the kind of thinking that has infiltrated our culture where people are asking a question and giving legitimacy to the topic they're talking about, yeah. which is absurd. Yeah, it should never be a question in the first no, place. it should, should be it? a question in the first place. Some, no. Someone else can't write, never mind a computer, someone else can't write a sermon for you because that would that's their words and not yours. The whole point is that you write a sermon using your brain and your, you know, your relationship with God. Yeah. In order yeah. to prepare that sermon. I th- I think that I mean e- e- even even for Christians to kind of entertain that thought is is nuts um quite frankly. But but you could probably put your put what sermon you wanted into something like ChatGPT and it would come out with something that, as if you read it, you might think, well, that's possible, but devoid of, of the Spirit's input. And, I mean, this is a rabbit hole I can't go down at this point, but there is, I think, um, there is a potential um, demonic side to all this, um, I think, with in terms of AI. But that's probably for... Uh, another another podcast um, at some point, but yeah, it's just worth sticking that in the back of back of your mind. Um, but yeah, AI is 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 a is a bad thing. Um, but the other one, yeah, was the last one on this one had a long term strategy for climate, uh, nature, and energy. Um, and yeah, I mean, what what do you think about that one? Because I'm guessing there's there's huge questions there. Yeah. Well, there are, and and under that topic, they talk about achieving the objectives of a carbon neutral and nature positive world by 2050, while providing affordable, secure and inclusive access to energy, food and water. Hmm. How do we balance these trade-offs to achieve social consensus? I, I... I don't know. The World Economic Forum planning to um, to control access to energy, food, and water. I would imagine, given that they are um, they gather world leaders once a year together, um, that this kind of this kind of thing, in a sense, is is orchestrated long term. Um, yes, I, I think that that would be that would be correct. I mean, we 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 see it we see it now, don't we? We see it with our ridiculous gas and electric prices. Don't hear anybody talking now in the news about the gas price being the fault of Putin. Have you noticed that? And mm, that and was, how it, yes. and how it and how electricity has mysteriously shot up to the same price as gas, and yet certainly for my energy provider, which is Octopus. Um, they pride themselves on being renewable energy. Well, hold on a sec. Um, those are those are wind farms, aren't they? Mainly, and they're in the UK. Um, so something something is 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 massively broken here, and and that would be an indication how we're being uh, taken to the cleaners on this. I think. Um, and yeah, it, the the language the language used, you know, things like secure and inclusive, that's very that's very leading in terms of things like universal basic income will be dependent upon things like a social credit score. Um, that will that will be part of it, and that's how I'm sure 
how they would fulfil that secure and inclusive access to energy, food and water, one would imagine anyway. Um, but yeah, anything else to add on these ones, Helen, before we move on? Um, no, let's move on. Let's move on. Okay, well, they had a, an open forum, didn't they? Uh, and what's this called? Sustaining Life on Earth? Again, yes. very, very grand title, isn't it? I think the, the WF have delusions of grandeur where they're essentially seeing themselves as a kind of a, a, a god in lowercase g here because it's up to them to sustain life on Earth. Um, but yes, that's very that's very noble of them to consider this, isn't it? What, what, <laughs> what, do, what do they say about this one? Yeah, so they say, um, according to the World Economic Forum's Global Risks Report, Biodiversity is more at risk now than at any other point in human history. Yet $44 trillion of economic value generation, over half the world's total GDP, is moderately or highly dependent on nature. How can unprecedented collaboration between science, business and policy safeguard life and livelihoods on the planet? Hmm. I mean, it, it's always it always fascinates me when you when you listen to these pagan utterances because have you noticed how they first of all they refer to creation as nature, and secondly how people are not part of nature. Have you noticed that? It's always the people are the problem. The people are um, the blot on a landscape, and nature is a thing we must worship. And yet, in creation, people, men and women, are part of God's creation. They are um, indeed. I was doing with my Sunday school group this morning about we'd finished um, creation up to the point where God has created all of the living things except for the human beings. So that's what we were doing today, talking about when God created humans. And I was reminding them what it says in the Bible that um, God created mankind, men and women, male and female, in his image. And then he said it was very good. He did. He did indeed. He did indeed. Uh, and, and I think, again, for Christians, it's really important to remind ourselves of this, this of what the Bible actually does say about what God says, um, about who he is and who he has called us to be. And that's crucial for us to remind ourselves because things like uh, what the WF pedal and by extension that the, what, what they pedal is promoted through the likes of social media, mainstream media um, and, and in schools actually, you find it in schools in all sorts of ways. It's, it, it flies in the face ultimately of of biblical orthodoxy, but it does it by normalising things, by talking them about talking about them in everyday language. So when they talk about um, the, the 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 risk to to nature, as they call it, it's just this line is perpetuated over and over and over again until people start to think, oh wow, yeah, there must be a real risk here, and, and I'm part of the problem, and. Oh, isn't it awful? And we've got to do whatever we can to save the planet. And I think as Christians, this is where we hold out the hope that we have. 
first of all, that there isn't the problem that they, the WF wants us to believe there is. That's important to really grasp that truth, and it is a truth. But the second thing is to hold out the, the words of life that come from God to a world that desperately needs to hear it, that counters this, frankly, evil narrative from the likes of the WEF and, and others. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I mean, like, how, how on earth are the, the WEF to know that biodiversity is more at risk now than ever in human history? They have no idea they at all. They can't possibly know that. <laughs> They're <laughs> making it up. They're absolutely making it up. Um, and I think this is, again, just paving the way brick by brick, to the massive reduction in farming. I mean, there is huge uh, demonstrations going on in Germany now. Like we've had the Dutch farmers, and I think that's continuing, but also far farmers in Germany. Mm, uh, hardly reported protesting. on. Yeah, not, not reported at all, but these are massive, like yeah. seriously massive. Um, and and far farmers are taking to the streets, essentially, in their tractors, a lot of them, to, to highlight what is happening, what governments are doing. And this is why you cannot ignore something like the WEF, because governments are working out, uh, being, uh, working out the policies that the WEF and other organisations rubber stamp. And it's crucial for us to get this. Um, it's very easy to discount this, very, very easy, and a lot of people sadly do, but it's a mistake to do that. Um, yeah. yeah. What well, I think much of um, when they talk there about the GDP and how much of over half the world's total GDP is moderately or highly dependent on nature, I think what they're referring to is that it's dependent on farming. Yes. Which yes. is dependent on nature, on God's creation and the biblical mandate for mankind to have dominion over the created world. That's that's what farming is. Um and that's why there are so many farmers protesting uh, in all sorts of parts of the world because they're being prevented from doing what they know is is the right thing to to be farming, producing food, um, which should be being done in in um, a way that that is always going to be sustainable if you want to use those kind of words you know um these things that have been done for thousands of years yes yes um and you know god has given us the resources that we need he is the sustainer and life on earth will continue for as long as he determines that's the christian view it totally is and and i think there's many christians that would do well to remind themselves of this because there's some christians sadly, who have allowed or or simply not known any better, the, they've allowed the whole climate alarmism thing to really weigh down on them. And some people are literally oppressed by this. They're fearful that the world's going to end unless, unless they, you know, stop using gas and uh, just stop, eat, stop eating meat and don't go anywhere in their car and, and don't fly on holiday anywhere. None of those things make any difference whatsoever. Absolutely zero difference. And what they're doing is thinking, they, they, they sadly believe the lie, the demonic lie, that they are part of the problem and they have to be the solution. Whereas mm. 
the liberating truth is that this world belongs to God and is in his hands. And he has said that, you know, sunrise and sunset will not cease until he says so. Yeah. But these, the these, this messaging is so insidious. I mean, I saw it even in my Sunday school book this morning. Really? So the one, yep. The what, one, a bit of climate alarmism in it, was it? Yep. Yep. Okay. So in the one before the one I was doing today on on um when God created mankind, uh the one looking at um God creating uh all of the creatures and the the rest of the world on the days before he created mankind. Um what I would have liked to have focused on was um God as creator, God as sustainer. Um, encouraging us that this is his creation and it is put here for our use, for us to have dominion over. That's what the Bible says, which is, of course, includes looking after in order to be able to to use. And, and God is constantly sustaining. This is not like a drip, drip, eventually it's all going to run out. This is a, this is a earth that he, you know, all of us, any of us who garden or do anything outside you know it's a constantly regenerating creation it's absolutely incredible um but no rather than that what was the focus on it was on environmentalism you know you need to you child need to look after that's what you need to do you need to you need to be it wasn't using the word saving the planet but that was the implication you know you need to be working Mm. hard to do all your you know good recycling and it's very subtle isn't it and and it and it it comes it's done like a drip drip subtle subtle thing where it just feeds this idea all the time and children get this at school yeah a lot will have it at home uh on television social media and of course you know if you have it in church that's that's really bad to be quite honest but but sadly you can and i think we've as, as christians we just gotta just gotta wake up here you know i think the key reason why the religion of environmentalism and it is a religion for many people is pushed so much and it's and it and it's trying to wheedle its way into the church and in many ways has, has been successful in doing that is because it takes our eyes off the gospel. It takes our eyes off our core mission, which is to go and make disciples, telling them to do all that Jesus has commanded and get people ready for the return of Christ and make sure that they are putting their trust in him for the forgiveness of their sins. Because the present world is reserved for judgment by fire. The Bible is very clear about that. And as we've said like a number of times in this podcast, that's not that's not... We're not saying, okay, you go outside and you just burn rubber tires because you feel like and you like black clouds. That's ridiculous. Nobody's saying that. But equally, you've we've got to kind of wake up to what is happening here as Christians. And the cult of environmentalism has really got a foothold in the church now. And and I think it needs to be actively resisted, actually. And the lie that it perpetuates needs to be called out. And we need to realign ourselves with the truth. Um that's so, so important. Uh, yeah. What what's ecocide about? That sounds that sounds <laughs> well, like is it a drink? Here's a little example of um, 
of something that's pretty extreme and I'm sure before long will be normalized. So um, in one of these um, these uh, sessions at the World Economic Forum, um, this lady, I've found a clip of her um, and, I, and I checked, it is, it is legit, it's there on the website. Um, she's the CEO of an organization called Stop Ecocide International. Mm. And um, she is suggesting that um, farming and fishing should be classified as ecocide and treated as a serious crime. What does this woman eat? Is she just eating the bugs as provided by um, by Uncle Klaus? Then um, oh, I mean, sure. how is how is she getting her food if yeah. she if she's against farming and fishing? Oh, what, well. a nut, what a crazy farming lady. and fishing damage damage the natural environment, don't they? So yeah, again, it's all part of this narrative, isn't it? That that humans are bad. Human activity is is wrecking the planet and. Um, and actually, well, as far as she's concerned, she wants to make that a crime. Wow. It, it's interesting, isn't it, how, how quickly we've moved in this area over the last five years, I think, where we have where, where things like uh, not eating meat, you know, the nonsense of plant based. What they mean is vegetarian or veganism, isn't it, really, when you talk about plant based, mm. um, how how these things have moved right into the mainstream in a relatively short space of time in a, in a similar way that um, transgenderism has moved into the mainstream in a relatively short space of time. This is what happens. This is the this is the almost the end point when you allow the drip 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 of of lies and essentially um, godlessness to take hold over a long period of time that suddenly you end up at a point where if you take a step back you could be forgiven for thinking the lunatics have taken over the asylum to to coin the phrase um where where you have these outrageous statements like this this ceo of the uh, stop ecocide international organization saying things like farming and fishing should be treated as a serious crime um, but it's 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 crazy, and it's almost laughable if it wasn't actually true and happening. Um, so, again, it's just being it's being alert to these things. It's being it's kind of I guess as Christians to have a sort of a filter, if you like, that when we hear things, we pass them through the filter in our mind. We pass them through, and 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 the filter has to include a test. It has to include: is this does this align with what God's word says? Is it anti God, or is it moving me closer to God because it'll be one of the it'll be one of the two things ultimately it'll be one of the two things and some 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 things will be easy to spot other things won't be so easy to spot and other things that aren't so easy to spot a good tip is to consider what trajectory that thing puts you on and what the end point of that trajectory is and that can be ever so helpful in in determining whether that thing is um, putting you closer to God ultimately or not, but I think we have to do that as Christians, don't we, Helen? We've got we've got to we've got to get ourselves in the habit of doing this now because this is happening more and more, isn't it? Yeah, 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 definitely. Yeah, I think we should be asking these questions all of the time and reading our Bibles all of the time. Yes, totally, totally. Um, what about what about fixing healthcare? 
Uh, yeah, of well, course, this is digital, isn't it? Because it has to be digital. If it's not digital, then it's um, well. Yeah, yeah, know, definitely. Do you want to? I'm. Legit. I need to get another candle. I'm running out of light here, so um, you start on the healthcare. <laughs> yeah, get a candle. I'll only be a minute. <laughs> okay, so so this this is um, from the, the Centre for Health and Healthcare, and talking about the digital transformation uh, and how artificial intelligence could revolutionise access to quality healthcare by empowering doctors detecting diseases and sparking drug discoveries it sounds uh, interesting sparking a drug discovery as government and industry actors strive to unlock the potential of health data and technology what multi-sectoral partnerships and actions can power the future of health and then they finish by saying this session is linked to the digital healthcare transformation initiative of the world economic forum Wow, there's a lot. There's a lot of uh, fancy words in there, like multi-sectoral partnerships. I don't think I've come across that one before, and mm. also sparking drug discoveries. Mm. Um, I, I think from the last four four years, I don't do we do we want to be sparking drug discoveries in quotes because that's not gone very well, has it? Um, so yeah, detecting diseases mm, that's another rabbit hole. Uh, empowering doctors. Um. Okay. Again, artificial intelligence. I mean, I've heard people talk about um, multiple times now how the doctor's surgeries, so we're in the UK, if you're listening to this in another country, we have doctor's surgeries where you have a general practitioner, a GP, which is a doctor, um, based in the surgery. And you would historically, if you have something wrong with you, you'd phone up your local surgery who you're registered with and you would book an appointment with your GP and they would have a look at you and hopefully point you in the right direction to get yourself better again and um, many people will have many good experiences of their local GP but of late it's been very hard to get a, a GP appointment hasn't it Helen um, I think most now do a kind of triaging service online or over the telephone and um, you you kind of have to pass through various mysterious hoops in order to get a face-to-face -face appointment and when you do get face-to-face take, a face -to -face take photos of whatever take bits photos of you yeah, are, that um, have fallen off ailing. or yeah. yeah or or shouldn't be or in the wrong place or whatever it might be and um yeah but what seems to be happening is moving towards a time where the gp surgery will be a thing of the past and we will be served either by artificial intelligence and triage online, not by a person, but by a doctor, even though they'll give it a name to personalise it, but it won't be, it'll just be a computer algorithm. Um, and I don't think, I don't think, again, that's not good, is it? I mean, people's relationship with their GP has been a very important part of everyday life for, for decades. And um, now they're wanting to change that effectively by, by creating these digital healthcare initiatives yeah when i suspect this has a lot to do with digital id yes and surveillance yeah um it seems to be all about detecting disease and making drugs but i was thinking what about actual healthcare? you know if you think about what those words actually are healthcare, it should mm. be about helping people to live a healthy life with good nutrition exercise disease prevention 
and therefore hopefully little need for interventions and drugs. But of course, that's not going to make anyone any money, is it? No, it's not. And, and that's, of course, why things like vitamin D, zinc, vitamin C was um, really frowned upon in 2020 and 2021. Whereas now, of course, it turns out that those things, oh, they were actually good for you. I mean, of course, we all most of us at least anyway, knew that they were good for us. And the reason why they were being told they weren't good for us is because, like you say, Helen, vitamins um, like vitamin D, vitamin C, zinc, they don't really make people a great deal of money, do they? Apart from maybe manufacturing the tablets and selling them. But really, it's not the same as as creating a uh, gene therapy jab, uh, which sadly has killed a lot of people. Um, But yes, it's. uh, I think you're right. I think it is linked to the digital ID and surveillance because, of course, you can't have um, something like online uh, AI triage without the online service knowing who you are and what better way to know who you are than with a digital id and as something like healthcare of course that's very serious isn't it your your health details are very important so yeah it's not going in a good direction and i do i do yeah i mean do you, do you think do you think they'll we'll see the closure of gp surgeries or do you think that will they will survive in some shape or form do you have any well, kind of view um, on that i wouldn't be at all surprised i i have to confess I try to keep as far away from them as possible I'm fortunate I've not needed them very much for quite a few years and but I hear so many stories from others of the difficulties in trying to see a doctor and I mean anyone who's got some medical background will tell you that it's really important the seeing a patient face to face the actually sometimes even touching them just to or or to um you know, physically examine them is critically important. Yeah, yeah. In in diagnosis, and and it's not just about you know typing in or you know a, a load of symptoms and coming up with the answer. You know, we're we're human beings, and we are complex, and our health state is complex, and it involves all sorts of things, including, um, you know, our state of mind, um, as well as our physical body um, and our situation. And a human being is only going to be able to work out, you know, the subtleties of all those things in the mix to help someone, to truly help someone. And that, that has traditionally been the job of the GP. It has, it has, and I think I think you're you're totally right. I agree, and I really hope that any kind of movement towards um, AI um, or digital ID can 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 and should be resisted because there was um. I can't remember quite the name of this now, but it was a year and a half ago. There was this um, putting all your details in your GP surgery onto a national database. Does that ring any bells, Helen? With yeah, it does one? ring a bell because I remember and filling in a form saying I, that I wanted to opt out. I didn't yeah. want that happening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So that 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 was a a key thing to opt out of in terms of because if you don't, your details, I think. I don't know if it's happened yet or not. Well, we should look into this. No, I don't know. But uh, I have a feeling it hasn't. But I might be wrong about that. But you, you, once your medical details are put into the national database, that again just eases the way 
for digital ID, eases the way for AI. It, it again, it removes that local intervention which we have and need and appreciate, which is with our local GP in our local surgery. Um, why would you put it on a national database? You know, I live in one place. My medical records can move with me if I move. That's how we've done it for years. Um, anyway, shall we Shall we crack on? Because we got, yeah. what's the other one? Next one, net zero industries. Net zero. Net zero is everywhere, isn't it? Net zero. What, what's this one about? Um, do you want to go for it? Yeah, so... Um... This subtitle, Centre for Advanced Manufacturing and Supply Chains. The manufacturing sector, which accounts for one-fifth of global carbon emissions and over half of the world's energy usage, is taking centre stage in the global race to net zero. Yet despite a raft of commitments and first steps, around 50% of companies are off track in achieving their targets. How can manufacturers leverage new innovations and technologies to successfully negotiate the green transition while maintaining growth? Well, you you, you can't basically. We've I mean we talked about an example of that with our electricity prices, where we've had multiple wind farms built in the United Kingdom. You know, the United Kingdom has some of the largest offshore wind farms in the world. And we still have ridiculously priced electricity, which is nonsensical. Um, so that would be an example of a uh, green transition and growth going together when they don't. Um, I think it's, again, it's, it, it, it is harking after something which people aren't asking for. And, and the reality needs to... to really sink in here and we've seen that la this last week with um the news of um the tata um foundry uh, steelworks in port talbot and that came into the headlines this last week because tata have announced that they are going to close their blast furnaces and when they do that there'll be a loss of 3000 jobs and they'll be looking to transition, <laughs> that's that word again, the, the steelworks to um, a so-called greener electric arc furnace. Um, and uh, according to the BBC, of course, and BBC love this kind of thing, it will be more environmentally friendly to operate the electric arc furnace, but will require a smaller workforce. Well, that's one way to describe 3,000 people losing their jobs, isn't it? Um Tata said themselves that closing the blast furnaces would reduce the, in quotes, overall UK countrywide emissions by about 1.5%. I mean, you could you could say 1.5%, you could say 10%, you could say 0.068%. You could just pluck any figure out of the air there. It's absolutely meaningless and unmeasurable. But anyway, um it's this is this is an example of what happens when you have the policies that are promoted by the World Economic Forum meet reality. What happens is people's lives get ruined. 
Um, the steel industry in the United Kingdom has been de in decline for decades. So, for example, in 1972, there were 323,000 uh, people working in steel industry-related jobs. Uh, and now there are just uh, around 34,000 people. That's a huge difference. Um, so, yeah, I mean, this whole kind of difference between a, a um, electric arc furnace and a blast furnace. A blast furnace is used like coke to, to create a really hot furnace where you can make new steel, basically. Um, whereas an electric arc furnace uh, tends to um, be focused on producing recycled steel um, and it uses electricity to, to, to do that. Um, an electric arc furnace are also more automated. So there we go. This is how kind of AI kind of creeps in. So people lose their jobs and we have something inferior as a result. So essentially a blast furnace, which is what they've got at the moment in Port Harbour, they can melt raw iron or uh, it can also do recycled metal, but electric arc furnaces tend to only melt recycled or scrap metal. And the thing is this, People will say with steel, oh, you can be recycled it many times over, many times over. Some will say, oh, you can just keep recycling steel. So electric arc furnaces are the way to go. But it's not as simple as that. Nothing ever is because it's a half truth. Um, while steel might be recycled indefinitely, um, when, when it is, it's inferior. And the reason is, is because when you're creating steel in a from from or in a blast furnace, you're using freshly mined material. Whereas if you're recycling using recycled steel, it might come from automotive scrap, for example, and that might it might contain copper impurities uh, that cause cracking in the steel when when used, and it can be a problem in certain applications. So it's not as simple as saying, "Oh, we'll just switch this very um, in quotes." environmentally oppressive blast furnace to an electric arc furnace and everything will be okay. It, it won't be. Um, and not, not to mention you'll lose people's skills and abilities. So for the Tata um, Steelworks in Port Talbot, technical um, people who may be an electrician or the fitters, their, their jobs are potentially going to go. And they're going to lose a lot of high-quality jobs. And they're not necessarily going to be replaced. So you lose the skills as well. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, that's an example of the kind of the net zero madness and how that actually works out in reality. Mm. And what are we going to do? We're just going to import more steel, aren't we? Well, quite. Yeah. Yeah. You're going to import more steel. And of course, you've got to get that steel from whichever factory it was made at it probably invariably using a blast furnace but in another country yeah um but that's okay because be our carbon footprint will be lower so that doesn't matter it's just yeah. i mean when they talk about the global race to net zero i think i think that's what it is to them it's a game it is a game global it is a game. race to net zero it's a game not bothered about the people on the ground who are going to lose their livelihoods no not 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 at all not at all um and, and if you know for jobs that are are taken away or maybe your job is replaced also known as taken away by artificial intelligence how is that, how do they expect this to work 
Because if people are out of work because of AI or they're out of work because of some nutty race to net zero, then they're not earning. If they're not earning, they're not spending and contributing to the economy. So the things that these companies are making, who are they ultimately expecting to buy them if more and more people are going to be out of work? And there is it lies the clue, doesn't it? Because that's why, as we talked about before, something like universal basic income has to form part of the answer. And when you align that with things like 15-minute cities, low-traffic neighbourhoods, you start to formulate this bigger picture of where this is all ultimately going. Um, and the charade that were sold in terms of net zero or environmentalism is actually a con job. But, you know, some of this is speculation, isn't it, Helen? But I think we speculate based on... Uh, what is happening and applying wisdom to that, which I think as Christians, we have to do that. It's important. Yeah, yeah it is. I think I think we need to keep a very close eye on this whole net zero agenda, um, which I don't think, I don't recall any of us being asked about our views no. on this. Um, they're interesting there. Their session, they say, is linked to the ongoing work of the Industry Net Zero Accelerator Initiative of the World Economic Forum Centre for Advanced Manufacturing and Supply Chains. Goodness knows what that is supposed to mean. Well, it's, it's, it sounds like something where they want to make this nonsense happen at a much quicker uh, pace than what perhaps is currently already happening by, like, in their own words, accelerating it. Um, yeah. It's, it's, it's ominous, really, isn't it? I mean, there's so many areas where you could pick this stuff out. Like, for example, you know, I, I went to Heathrow Airport not so long ago to, to take somebody to the airport and pick them up again. And to go to Heathrow now, it's in the congestion zone, so it costs £12.50 to go there, plus your parking, which I think for... If you're dropping somebody off, it's £5. But if you're parking, it's maybe £16 for half an hour. So that's one way. <laughs> so, so one 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 way you, you've you've paid essentially thirty pounds, well close to thirty pounds potentially. That's not including your fuel. Just just to go drop somebody off at an airport. So this this is this is how this stuff works. It, how it make it, it slowly takes away people's financial freedom because they're spending money on all these little scams. Where does where does this all end up? You know, it doesn't doesn't it's uh, not 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 heading in a good direction, is it? Um, what about disease X? Yeah, it gets better, X. doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. So this is. Um, the World Health Organization are researching the potential of so-called disease X and what novel efforts are needed to prepare healthcare systems for the multiple challenges ahead. Um, and the session that the World Economic Forum have um, on this is linked to the Partnership for Health Systems Sustainability and Resilience and the Collaborative Surveillance Initiative, of the World Economic Forum. Wow. So how they they just they're kind of paving the way here for for the next pandemic. Is that is that 
what they're yeah, trying to do, that's... do you think? Just get it into people's consciousness that um, you should be expecting something bad to happen at some point in the not too distant future. You need to rely on us to save you because we also saved you during COVID, yeah. except, except they didn't, yeah. uh, obviously. Didn't we do um, so well and we're here ready to do it again because it will be happening again soon. So the new scientist um, says that, uh, well, it's asking the question, what is disease X and why, it is, why is it in the news? The World Health Organization uses the term disease X to refer to an infection with the potential for causing the next epidemic or a new global pandemic. The term, coined in 2017, can be used to mean a newly discovered pathogen or any known pathogen with newly acquired pandemic potential. By the latter definition, COVID-19 was the first disease X, but there could be another in the future. Well, I think I think many, including Professor Norman Fenton, I think was who, who, would, who would question the legitimacy of of, a, of applying um, the definition of pandemic to COVID nineteen anyway, wouldn't he? Yeah, I think, and, yeah. and many others would. Um, yeah. So, so that's highly questionable from the outset. Um, but yeah, yeah. okay. So, um, I was reading uh, Robert Malone's Substack. Um, he's obviously sceptical of this, and. He says this is just another exercise in globalised messaging to support the WHO and World Economic Forum pushed narrative that governments must pour billions of dollars into the largest transnational corporations in the world to cure a non-existent disease. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And he continues, the big push from the WHO and the WEF is that disease X will be zoonotic, that is coming from animals. That money to surveil every speck of land in the world is the path forward to stopping disease X. It is about One Health solutions. And basically, One Health gives public health officials total control and surveillance across AI, the internet, agriculture, climate change, public health, medical systems, ecological sites, urban and rural areas. It can encompass just about anything. It also values animal and plant life as equal to human life. Uh, psychopaths, basically. Um, it's Yeah, it's just what we were saying earlier, isn't it? This trajectory that we seem to be on at the moment in terms of what we were talking about with um uh, GP surgeries, local medical centres, moving our data from a local setting in our GP surgery to a national database. It all aligns and fits in with this, doesn't it? It all aligns and fits in with what is trying to be put into place by the World Health Organization and the the World Economic Forum. Yeah, and and I think I think yeah. I mean, we said we said numerous times on the podcast. People like us on the ground, we've never been asking for any of this stuff. Never. What 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 we want is to be able to live in peace and to not be interfered with. We want to have small government which functions well. We want to be able to uh, have families which function well. I mean, the, the, the basic bedrocks of communities are relatively straightforward. And that's what people want their governments to facilitate and look after. But do governments do that? No, they erode those things. They actively attack those things. And then they try and bring bring about this 
complete nonsense on top of that. And and again, this we're highlighting this because this isn't made up stuff. This is not some kind of in quotes conspiracy theory. This is what is actually happening now. And this is reality. This is the world in which we live. And for Christians, we've got to be awake to this. Not to be obsessed by it, but to be alert to the enemy's schemes and to be able to apply critical thinking, as we say so often, to um, world events so that we can live better for Christ and ultimately point people to the only true hope that's found in him. And sometimes that's done by contrasting the true hope that's found in Christ with the nonsense that will come out from the WHO or the WEF, for example. In a sense, it makes the job easier. Because <laughs> when, when, you, when, you, when you see evil like they are perpetuating, you can say, this is, this is the reality and it's bad, but look at Christ. Look at what he's done. Um, yeah, what about Dr. Tedros? Um, yeah. What has he got to say? So Dr. Tedros, who is the WHO Director General, says in his not perfect English, but I think you can just about get the gist of what he's trying to say, to have better preparedness and to address disease X, we have pandemic agreement. The pandemic agreement can bring all the experience and all the challenges we have faced all in one. This is a common global interest and very very narrow national interest should not come in the way. Of course, national interest is natural, but it is narrow national interest that can be difficult and affecting the negotiations as we speak. It's total nonsense, isn't it? It's total nonsense. He's he's wanting a kind of a global super, uh, sorry, a global health super state, and he's he's wanting to put in place the very things that facilitate the spread of disease, if you like. And yet, if ironically, he's railing against the very thing that protects against disease spreading, which is what's best in a local situation. Because yep. local situations and local local communities are very different. How people handle things is very different. Nobody's yep. wanting or asked to be told what to do by these self-appointed uh, officials, and they are self-appointed. We've not elected them. I, I, don't, I don't remember having any say in the, the World Health organization and this this is where the charlatan boris johnson was was you know one of many but he was a charlatan um talking about you know oh it's nothing to be nothing to be concerned about do you remember when when there was calls for this to be debated in parliament mm. a couple of years ago and he said oh don't be don't be daft to paraphrase him and say it's nothing to be worried about he know he knew full well what was going on because yeah. he, of course, is part of uh, the Davos elite. And this is how this all fits together, you see. This is how this works. This is, unfortunately, how the world in which we live in functions. Um, and this is what the enemy's schemes look like. Um, yeah. And that's why we need to we need to be alert to this and we need to be looking because they're not actually, they're not hiding very much. They're no, quite they're open about in their intentions. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. you know, he's quite clear there about usurping the national interest yeah. to gain effectively to gain global control and governance and to dictate to nations at a global level and and impose whatever interventions medical procedures 
vaccines or whatever else they decide is in the global interest. Indeed. And, and of course, we, we saw how that would we got a hint, rather, of how that would look and feel during the, the so-called COVID uh, uh, nonsense we had in this country uh, two years ago, where things like the Track and Trace app, things like the uh, the, pass- the vaccine passport, you know, mask mandates, which we've talked about many times on this podcast, but those were all tastes of what is to come if the likes of Dr. Tedros and his cronies get their way. Mm. Uh, and there's nothing to suggest at the moment they won't get their way. Um, but uh, that should not be alarming because, as we've also said many times, our hope is not in Dr. Ted, thankfully, <laughs> but in the Lord Jesus Christ, who is coming back, who is coming back. Uh, anything to add on that? Or shall, shall I just finish with this snippet about Kev? Yeah, go on. Talk about Kev. So I I saw this, came across uh, this little video, and again, we'll link to it in the the podcast notes. So do go and have a look for yourself because it's quite something. But but, um, there's um, Dr. Kevin Roberts, who is is the president of Heritage, which is an American policy organization. And he was at Davos last week. How How do you think he slipped through the net? I I don't know. A dissenter in the ranks. Yeah, maybe. Who knows? Who knows? Maybe he climbed in through a window Um, (laughs) or maybe, you know, who knows? Who knows? Anyway, he he does this great little video where he he essentially is in in, obviously in a, a World Economic Forum meeting. And um, he's giving this uh, little speech and he essentially rails against the political elites. And and he says he says it's laughable that anyone would describe Davos as protecting liberal democracy. Let me say it again. This is what he says. He says, it's laughable that anyone would describe Davos as protecting liberal democracy. He said that at the meeting. And and basically, he went on to call out uh, the elites who were in the room, some of them at least, that he was speaking in uh, at Davos. He called them out on things like illegal immigration, uh, the climate change scam, the promotion of gender ideology, the promotion of technocracy. And uh, he, he's an American, so he was talking from an American context, but this is obviously applicable to, to any nation state. But he said how an American administration that really served the interests of the American people would oppose every single thing that's ever been proposed at the World Economic Forum annual meetings or by the forum themselves. He says it as it is, and he's absolutely right. He, he's nailed it, basically. Um, and I think this really highlights the gulf, the gaping chasm between what people on the street like us think and what the political elites try and tell us what we should think or what we should want. And, uh, and it's vast. But this, this, is, this is the world in which we live. Uh, but it's worth a watch that clip, and we'll yeah, put we'll put the is, links definitely. in links in the podcast yeah. Uh, because yeah, it's definitely worth worth a good look. It is, and I would say um, don't just switch off because he talks about Donald Trump either, oh, because grief. I think yeah, it's don't. really important yeah. to remember that um, you know whatever your views of that man, the American people have the right to decide who they want to represent them. And, and and they may or may not choose Donald Trump, or they may not be given that option. But 
But that is not the point. Just listen to what he says. Yeah. Yeah, indeed. Indeed. Do, do listen do listen to what he says. It's very good. Um, it always amuses me when people rail against Donald Trump as if somehow Joe Biden is any better. Yeah. In many yeah. ways, it's 10 times worse. And it's like... <laughs> But yeah, there's a kind of cognitive dissonance that goes on with many kind of um, um, middle class Christians, I think. Right. Um, do you want to read from Galatians? Yes. Alan? So we'll finish yeah. with a bit of scripture, as is our tradition, because God's word needs to have the last word. Yeah, definitely. So I'm going to read from Galatians chapter one, beginning at verse six. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let him be eternally condemned. As we have said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let him be eternally condemned. Am I now trying to win the approval of men or of God? Or am I trying to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. That's so relevant to all we've been chatting about this last hour or so, hasn't isn't it? Um, it's um, very strongly worded as well. Very mm. strongly worded by Paul when he says, you know, we, uh, as we have already said now, say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what we you, you have accepted, let him be eternally condemned. That's how. That's how the important this is. It's that it, it's that serious, and I think as Christians in. In, be encouraged yourself to stand faithfully and in truth, aligning yourself to the good news about the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't allow yourself to be swayed along, particularly by things like climate alarmism. Mm. Uh, it, the, the climate uh, agenda is really infiltrating the church at the moment, I think. And we have to be alert to that and to gently but firmly point people back towards the cross of Christ and say, don't be deceived by this. Don't start peddling another gospel. Because as Paul says, if we start peddling another gospel, that's very, very serious. Yeah. Um, we have one mission and uh, sometimes we need to remind ourselves of that. I know I do. And I need reminding loads of times to do the things I should be doing. Um, so it's okay to be reminded, but we need to heed those reminders as well and to encourage one another to do that. And again, like we said, just encourage your church leader in this as well. If you, if, and we're picking on environmentalism here because it come up in our discussions, but it is pertinent, I think, to, to the time in which we are currently in. Do encourage your church leader to say, look, can we just tone down the environmental gospel maybe and get back to, the true gospel uh, preached faithfully about Christ. Um, and your church leader may be really appreciative of that kind of encouragement, that kind of exhortation. Um, and and I think it's that bit near the end where Paul says, you know, am I trying to please men 
or God. And uh, our sole aim should be to please God. And if that puts us, puts us at odds with those around us, as much as we don't want that, and nobody wants that, then that's what we must do, isn't it, Helen? Yeah, it is. Yeah. Um, and we are warned in Scripture that that is likely to happen. Yeah, it is. We are going to have to make that choice and and we must choose God every time, no matter the cost. We must. We must indeed. Um, and if, if you're listening to this and you're, you're feeling a bit isolated, um, just our, our prayer is that, that you will know... Um, you will know God's sustaining hand, and you will know that you're you're not on your own. There are mm. others uh, who um, think the same things and want to see Christ magnified, and want to looking forward to that amazing day when He comes again, and wanting to get ourselves and those around us ready for that, and and wanting to uh, move away from the things that hinder the false gospels that can seep in. Um, so just please do be encouraged, and if you ever want to, you know. Um, write in um, do please do that uh, we'd love love to hear from you anything else to add Helen no I think that's a good place to end okay right well thank you very much for listening do please share the podcast with those that you think it would challenge encourage um, uh, exhort even and if you do have any comments questions uh, feedback thoughts do do feel free to share them with us uh, we have a as um a telegram channel which you're welcome to join uh, we also have uh, helen's substack which i strongly uh, recommend that you have a look at uh, you can find the links to this on the Podbean site there's a link tree link where we have all the links uh, to the various different areas that helen and i um, kind of oversee if you like uh, and you can also support the podcast as well that's hugely appreciated when people do that through buy, buy as a coffee because it just costs a bit of money each year to to produce this so any any um funds towards that are always gratefully received uh but yeah i think that's it isn't it helen yep i think so awesome right well uh thank you for listening and uh we'll see you on the next one yep see you then bye